Welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute, a podcast dedicated to sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. We are your hosts, Bill Taub and Dave Tilly. Welcome to Homeland Heroes Salute. Uh, my name is Phil Taub, and I'm hosting this amazing podcast with my good friend Dave Tilly. And our guest today is Jim Tilly. Uh, Dave is somebody very special to you. I know somebody who had a big effect on your life. Why don't you take a minute, Dave, and introduce Jim to our audience? Oh, thanks so much, Phil. And it's it's uh, great to join all of you and our listeners and to be able to uh, spend this podcast a little bit talking about my dad. Um, my father, some of my earliest childhood memories. He's an Air Force 21-year vet, was actually uh, seeing uh, his plane and him landing at Griffiths Air Force Base um, when when I was a a very young kid. And his uh, whole life was about service. He was a uh, in the Air Force for a little over 20 years, actually and uh, started enlisted and ended up uh, retiring a a major in the Air Force. And I'm honored to have uh, my dad here with us today. And one of the, uh, so dad, I guess I'll get starting right, right with dad here. And what dad were you doing prior to serving in the Air Force? I got out of high school. My father was a brick mason. It was always intended that I would be a brick mason. And uh, so college was never a consideration to me because I I, I was going to be the brick mason in the family. And I did uh, for part of a year. And about that time, uh, the Korean War was in the middle. And we got a draft noticed no, nobody in our family had been in the military. Uh, the only one uncle, and he was in a guard unit uh, up by Toledo in that area. But uh, I got the message to, that I was going into the Army, uh, drafted, and it wasn't something I was very uh, happy about or wanted. So instead of that, Instead of that, I went to Toledo, Ohio, to the drafting area, and I said that I would much rather join the Air Force. So they said, well, we'll give you the physical, see if you pass everything uh, uh, that you need, and we'll give it a try. So I did this and had no, no problem passing, no problem getting in. Uh, it was sure a surprise. So, well, from anything I had ever had in a small town of 2,500 people. Uh, but uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed the that. I was enlisted. I got sent very surprisingly uh, out of Toledo. Most of the people there were from Toledo, from Detroit, from that. I was from a little town of 2,500. But yet somehow I got appointed to be in charge of it, of the group that left Toledo on the way to to, uh, San Antonio, Texas, by train. I had never been on a train. I was uh, uh, in charge of the group. 
we had three uh, cars, train cars, and it was a it was a real adventure going from there. We went from Toledo to Cincinnati, Cincinnati to St. Louis, St. Louis to uh, Texarkana, Texas, and then on into San Antonio to uh, the Air Force Base there for basic training. Hmm. Many things happened during those trips. They were, uh, most of the people were bigger than me. I was only about 125 at the time. 125 pounds? Pounds, yeah. And not not very big and not a whole lot of experience in a, a little town like I was from. But we survived very well. And uh, every time we stopped, some of them were going to get off and go get some booze and bring on the on the train and lots of things happened like that. But they watched it pretty close, and uh, uh, we watched, made sure we had everybody on the the train when it started out again. Mm-hmm. So we we got as far as Texarkana, Texas, and Texarkana, Texas. Uh, there they decided it's time to put. Uh, military guards on the on the train to, to ride with us to make sure we all got there. And uh, that's what happened. There we go. I got down there for the basic training and it was about uh, about three weeks of, tra- of basic training. There we go. So, Phil, yeah, this this is mm-hmm. Phil. I, I want to jump in. So, how old are you at this point in your life? Halloween is my birthday, and I'll be ninety. You'll be ninety, and then and when you joined the Air Force, how old were you? Mm, probably 21, 20, 20, 21. Yeah, and so you you only had three weeks of basic training, and then and then what happened? Then we took tests at the time to see what you might be eligible for. And I had no college or anything, but when I took them, they decided that I could handle a, that I could handle a electronics type of program. So they sent me to Denver, Colorado, and I had never been there either. And we were on a train, a slow train going to Denver, Colorado. Many times we pull off the side and let the regular train by. But we got there, and it was the middle of winter. They had a big truck that picked us up, and we got in the back of the truck, and they took us to the base. And that's how it started. And uh, so this is during the Korean War, right? During that era? Korean War was just about over. Just about over. So that's why I ended up in the Air Force. I was, I was going supposed to go to the Army, didn't want to go to the Army. Joined the Air Force, and about that time, things slowed down in the Korean War. Yeah. So I never, never actually served in Korea. Right. What, what was what was your early career like in the Air Force? I, I, by the time I got through training in Denver, Colorado, that took quite a while because I had electronics that I had had to take that I had never been at. Uh, Facing, and then uh, when I got uh, through with that, then I had camera repair. They were going to send me to camera repair for uh, aircraft cameras, and so I took that. And for some reason or other, I, I ended up being the class leader. And maybe I was just lucky. Maybe who knows why? But I did. 
But during that time, many of the people, many of them uh, that were a little older than me or a little bigger than me, and they decided they wanted to, to uh, be officers. So they, there was a test that you could take for officer training. If you passed the test and physically, you could go into, into officer training. Most of them took it because they were never going to spend 20 years. They never were going to uh, use that. But by doing this, they, they got a day off of the work. And, and besides the day off of the work, they got a steak dinner for, for, the, basic, for the food or for the training of, of uh, health. Uh, that was a big deal for a lot of them because we never get staked and, and enlisted there. So did you do it for the 20 years or for the stake? Oh, I took it. If I was, I always, anything I ever took, I took for the best and for where I wanted to go, not for stake or not for day off or not for anything else. It just, it was something that, that was a, a challenge. And so when I took, when I got into that, I passed through the uh, uh, camera repair and I was given an assignment that I, I was going to go to aviation cadets in Houston, Texas, but I didn't know when. So they sent me to my the base nearest home in Dayton, Ohio, or in Columbus, Ohio, uh, to repair cameras, air, for, air cameras. Really kind of funny. Uh, uh, I, I had about a year in by the time I got my notice. And, and I got my notice in the mail and I took it in to see my sergeant and my sergeant looked at it. He said, what's your problem? I said, well, if I only got one more year, if I decide I just want to stay here and work here and I'd be out. And he said, otherwise I've got to go to, I'm going to cadets and I would go through the training and I, it would be a lot long. And he said, he looked at me and he said, he said, if you, if you don't take this chance, of being an officer, you're one of the very few that get a chance like this. I'll guarantee you'll have every, have every bad deal, detail that you have here until you get out. Well, there wasn't much question I was going to cadets. And so it, January 1st of, uh, that would be 52, I was I was uh, in Houston, Texas, for aviation cadets, and that was a whole different world. Yeah, back back then you can go from enlisted to officer. Uh, you had to be selected, with, without the, but without the college degree. No, you had to be selected though. You had yeah. to take tests. You had to take written tests, uh, physical tests. Uh, it was not an easy thing, but I got it, and and I went. And it was a year worth of aviation cadets. And then I went in to B-29s and Navigator in Bangor, Maine. And it was quite a thing. And so you ended up flying on B-29s? I was on B-29s, but the B-29s had been converted. They didn't carry bombs. They carried, uh, in the Bombay, they had big uh, fuel tanks. They carried a fuel for jet aircraft, jet fighters, F-84s, uh, or F, yeah, F-84s, and and they would uh, 
And so my first assignment was in Bangor, Maine, and I was a, a tanker or in tankers. I was there for for about two years, two years in time, and a lot of flights. That airplane was not the best in the world, but it it was good. And then I got selected to go to B-52s. Now that was a really, really big change because I, I had to go to California, had to go through uh, uh, the whole officer training part of it and uh, had to uh, uh, qualify in celestial as far as long as radar because the, the, in B-52, you have two navigators. One is one is the radar navigator. He's the one in charge of the nuclear weapons. Has the, does the bombing. Uh, he's the senior man. the The navigator was the one that I would have uh, first. And uh, so, so when I when I took that that in California in Sacramento, I finished the the qualification for the B fifty two. But uh, it turned out that uh, my, my wife, we had a brand new baby boy and uh, we were held there. They don't do it much anymore, but they, I was held there until the time that uh, the, the baby was big enough that we could travel. And we went, my first assignment was in Altus, Oklahoma in B-52s. And I reported in there, not the smartest, little kid in the world but I went to see my commander right to start with and the commander he was very nice he wanted to know the outfit had not qualified they were just getting qualified with a brand new uh, B-52E model and uh, so I asked him I said what am I going to be doing and he said you're going to be a navigator on the B-52 and I kind of smart alecky I guess uh, although I just didn't know any better I said, well, I'm a radar man. I'm, I needed to be. He said, well, radar is a senior position. That is where most of them are majors, colonels. And, uh, and you're going to have to qualify at least at the beginning with, as a navigator. And, and once you've done a, a period of time, then you can, if everything works right, you can upgrade into uh, that. Then they found out that I had never gone to survival training. And they had to send me to, to Nevada. So when I got back from Nevada, about three weeks later, the guy that was going to be my navigator, and a radar nav, and I was navigator, he died of a heart attack. And they were really hurting for somebody. So they said, we're going to navigate, we're going to give you maximum navigation. We're going to put you in the radar seat and see if it'll work out. And it did. Now, when when you were in uh, B fifty two, so now when you when you joined the service, you were joining during the time of uh, the Korean War era, but didn't serve in Korea. But you did end up serving in Vietnam. What was that like? And was that the uh, time when you were in the B fifty twos? No, no, not at all. I was in I was in B fifty two for almost probably between three and 4,000 hours in B-52s. And during that time, I was in the E-model. I, I was uh, made instructor and I was teaching 
everybody which was outranked me. And, and then uh, I ended up, uh, when, when that, when they, the first outfit we were in was with a G model, the brand new G model, 52. And it was at Alpha Soccer, it was in uh, 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 Florida. And I got, we were the one's first two crews to get there. And for some reason or other, they used our crew and the other crew to go to, to Castle Air Force Base to do the testing of it. We did the testing, the flight testing of that. We flew every other day practically and all kinds of priorities. We just did it. And uh, it was a great, great experience that I don't know how it ever happened, but it did. And when I came back from there, we, we had the rest of, uh, the outfit there, but we taught them all because they had none of them got it from there. And so we got our time, a lot of time, and then ended up uh, transferred. I was transferred to Rome, New York. Rome, New York for about two years or three. And then by that time, I had made, I had made major. It, it, I had made captain along the way and I had made major there. And I knew as a reserve officer, not a retired, I was not an activist total. I was a reserve officer right from the start. Uh, I knew that that would be my last rank. I couldn't go any higher. I couldn't get any more than 20 years. So I got the 20 years, I, got to, I made the major. Then I, I applied for something that I could, could carry. Uh, intelligence officer. It was a it was a flying job. I still get flying pay, which was important. And uh, I went from there to Denver, Colorado, for uh, intelligence school. And and then, what year did you get out of the military? I got out in nineteen seventy one. Six you. 71. 71, yeah. Because I went, I, I went to intelligence school, and by this time, almost everybody in the Air Force officers had, had an overseas assignment. I never did. At that point, I didn't, and I really wanted one that I could take my family and go, but uh, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't to be. When I was in, uh, finished up the intelligence school, Immediately, I was assigned to Vietnam, and I was in Saigon. I was in charge of, of uh, all the scheduling there of the fighter aircraft we had for uh, uh, intelligence. And we had four outfits of, of fighters that I'd given the assignment. They'd get it, bring it back. We'd process it, forward it to the people on the ground all over Vietnam that needed it. For their particular area, and uh, but I was really sure that when I finished that year, that I would get an overseas assignment because I had uh, I'd, I'd have 17 years in, I'd have three left to go. I was limited to 20 years, and when when I was ready for for that, we applied for it, and uh, I did not get an overseas assignment. Um, there was two other guys that were two weeks ahead of me, and they, they knew a whole lot more about it than I did. But I did get uh, 
on an assignment with the Navy at Norfolk, Virginia. I spent my last three years as intelligence, special intelligence officer in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, it was a good time. I had three cruisers on cruisers, um, uh, command cruisers. Uh, we did a lot of collection. That's what, what our primary job was, intelligence collection. And, and it, was a, it was a great time. I, when I was retired, I was retired by a uh, Marine general who was assigned, assigned there. And he, he was a real honor for him. His, his son had died in Vietnam and he wanted, wanted to give me my retirement and he did. What, what was in, in your times and all the, your years in service, what were uh, some of your proudest times and some of your most difficult times? Proudest, of course, was doing the test at Edwards Air Force Base. Because when I was there, we were the only, we were the one doing everything. We had priority for everything. We flew daily. We could fly a daily if we wanted to, if we could had a purpose. Uh, I, we I bombed at over fifty thousand feet. Nobody does that. Did that much then, and. Uh, I, I saw the X-15 first flights of, uh, of the airplanes that were the B-29s and that, that were their planes. And I did get a chance on several occasions to, to fly as a second person in fighter aircraft in the 101 and the F-100 and, and uh, the F-4. So it was, I, I got some really good assignments out of it and uh, I got to meet a lot of people because being in the test program, when generals needed to be briefed, I got it. And it was, it was really good. What were some of the most difficult times for you in the military? Well, early on, early on it was difficult because uh, I wasn't used to that numbers numbers of people and that kind of thing, but I survived. Growing it. up in rural Ohio, yeah, but but I did did it well, and I was put ahead of the class for some reason right away, and so I took care of. I thought I did a good job of taking care of classes, taking care of. In Vietnam, I I had all of the people there that were doing the processing of the films and, and the, the pilots that were taking the pictures and, and uh, bringing them in. And I flew 40 missions over in there myself in different aircraft and in uh, fighter aircraft some. And in, most of them were in Hueys, in, in helicopters, because after the films were taken and after we had the ground covered so that they could use it, we had to deliver the pictures, and and so we jump in a plane, and away we go down out to these little army bases all over, delivering this this ground cover to see what's around them, so they know what's around them and what's going on. So it was it was interesting. But it was, you know, I got to ask you, just maybe it's a silly question, but. I think about those big, you know, B-52s and, and didn't they all have names? 
you know, I, I wonder if you ever got to name any of the planes. In B-29s, that was kind of a kind of a thing that they did. Although yeah. I don't I don't really remember what, what we might have had way back then. Because that was in 53 and 54. But when I get, by the time I get into B-52s, we never had names on on, no. on are, are you surprised they still have B-52s today? Oh no. That was the greatest airplane there ever was, <laughs> and still is. Still is. In B-29s, B-29s was an old, old airplane. It was one they, that they dropped the atomic bomb with. And it, it was all the old stuff that had been converted to, to uh, tankers. And it was, we lost, in the, in the two years I was in them, uh, we had 13 engines that caught fire on different aircraft. Never more than one, but shut them down and 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 uh, we always made it home all right and always did it okay so but it was not it was it was not the best that was the oldest one going and and it was still going but once we got into it the b-52s it was unbelievable that I could go from a you know as a first lieutenant to go into a radar job when I when most of them were majors and some colonels, a few captains, but uh, somehow or other I I did the job and and I was happy and everybody was happy so it was good for me. Yeah, so it's, sorry, David. Sounds like you moved around a lot uh, in the military and uh, and you're raising a family. You know, talk a little bit about raising a family in the military and, you know, because my sense is, you know, for 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 you serving or the guys serving, it's it's what you want to do. It's your passion. It's what you love. But for the family, there's a little bit of sacrifice right involved in in being part of this military family. Right. I never really felt that bad. And the, and I don't think my family did. Oh, once it, uh, we, we had our own housing. Uh, for in the B-29s when I first got to Austin, Texas and I hadn't been uh, my traveling was not very much uh, up until the time I got in the service but I did travel a lot once I got there and Austin, Texas uh, that was a great time but that's where they did away with the B-29s and went into 135 tankers KC-135s and and Either one, I had to go to school to be able to qualify for it. So for some reason or other, I qualified for the B-52 and uh, went through that for a year. Uh, and then I had to go uh, to Eltis, Oklahoma for that and get qualified again. But this time, I it was a double qualification because they, they just were short of people. And to get the whole outfit in the combat ready position, uh, I had to go through and, and qualify as a navigator and then do a limited number of flights as a navigator and then go into the radar position. And I went into the radar position as a captain and there was no other captain that was going, that was a radar at that time. At that, uh, and it, I just worked my way up, and it was it was enjoyable for me. And the family, family was not 
treated badly, I don't believe. I mean, I I would pull alert one week at a time, uh, both in B-29s and, but more in B-52s. But we were, our, our airborne, we were not doing a lot of airborne alerts. We were doing mostly ground alert where we'd set, we'd be in a, a place for a week. And we were there with seven or eight other crews with the aircraft sitting there and Probably the most exciting was when the the uh, 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 Cuban thing happened because we were in Florida at the time, and when that happened, all of a sudden we were on alert totally. And we the, the missile crisis, missile crisis, and we set we had to be on the aircraft, sitting there ready to go, or, or be able to get out get out there and get off the ground. So it was a it was a, quite a thing, and another thing. Once we once we overcame that that um, Cuban thing, then some good things came out of it. They came out. They had they brought the president down, and and the president and vice president were both brought down from to see a, a firepower demonstration in Florida. At, at Eglin Air Force Base. And we saw drop bombs out on the big test range. Uh, we launched both of a, a hound dog missile, which was a, a nuclear missile that we could launch way out. Or we had uh, the uh, decoy missile that we could carry four of them in the back of Bombay. And when we're flying, we could launch them all out and we could program the and they would fly with us in formation, but it's a little thing, but on the ground with radar, it looked just as big as we were. Mm -hmm. So that was very, I, we were the only ones that did this. I wanted to ask both of you maybe this question, uh, David, I know we're, we're both supposed to be interviewing your dad, but mm -hmm. you, know, you, know, you, you guys grew up together, father and son, you know, in the military. And obviously, that's a different experience than most civilians have. So I'd love to hear from both of you, you know, talk a little bit about your experience as a father and son and your relationship growing up, you know, in the military. I think I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll start out a little on that, Phil. Thank, thank you. Um, so a lot of dad's military service that he mentioned, he retired in 19... Uh, 71 and I was born in 66. So no, I retired. Uh, or so yeah, 71 is when you oh, retired. I retired. Yeah. It is was uh, you know prior to uh, my birth. And was I've got a half brother and um family that dad um had served in the military with prior to my birth. And but from my end, I was born on Griffiths Air Force Base. Uh, in 66, and dad was shortly thereafter in Vietnam. And so my earlier years, um, part of it, honestly, uh, didn't have an early recollection of my dad. He, he came back when I was, uh, what, three years old. So, uh, so it was challenging there, I know, on, on uh, you know, at first not seeing your dad for the first few years of your life. And uh, then for my sister, my dad mentioned his service in uh, 
uh, under the Navy in Norfolk, Virginia. That's where my sister was born in um, 1970, a year before dad's retirement. But um, we always grew up around around service, around uh, the base, around wanting to serve. And um, part of where the segues to is uh, after dad's military life, he's just been... Uh, continued to be involved in his military uh, community, uh, was president of uh, New York State uh, Military Officers Association, uh, head of his VFW out selling, you know, poppies for the Legion, and, uh, you know, continued his service afterwards. And I guess for me as a family, I grew up so much around it, um, Phil, that I, I wanted to serve myself and while he was air force i ended up army um just uh had, had a life of service through that and dad would you like to talk more about yeah about yeah. the family part yeah way back when i was in in the earlier aircraft uh i joined the american legion and i ended up right now i think i've got 58 years or 55 somewhere like that years with the american legion and in, in recent years, maybe 25 years ago, uh, I formed, a, another fellow and I formed the VFW in Old Forge, New York. And uh, uh, we made that pretty successful, I think. And, uh, but, uh, but it was, it was, the jobs that I had after I got out of the service were reflected back to my father. I did most stonework, electric, uh, stonework, uh, brickwork. Uh, I got, had two houses in Old Forge, New York. Still do to have one of them that are that were I built the whole thing entirely uh, out of the stonework, and I did the electrical and every other thing. It just it just came came to me pretty easy. And and where do you find yourself now? You're obviously retired, right? Um, are you living here in New Hampshire with us, or you're still up in New York? I I'm I'm in New York. Uh, after I built that house, and we lived there for for some time. Uh, I had a, a. I was in Florida, and I had a physical problem. What would what did they call that? A uh, uh, stroke. Stroke. I had a stroke, and I had never been sick with hardly anything. And I had that stroke, and then I had to come back. And I, I had the house in New York, and it was not the easiest time uh, being getting qualified in into that uh, to survive that, but. But it worked out all right. Everybody helped. My kids were the best. Uh, they've always taken care of me very well. And now, I, with this a problem that I have now with my uh, what is what they call it, whatever it is, uh, I'm being taken care of here in in uh, New Hampshire, and they're doing a very good job. Where I lived in New York. It's a little town, maybe 
thousand, fifteen hundred people, and there's no doctors, no anything, which didn't make it very handy when all of a sudden I had a problem. So I came here with David, and David has taken me really, really good care of me here, and the the hospital in uh, uh, Concord, Concord, New Hampshire, they have taken very good care of me too, and I still have some th- some steps to take yet, but. I don't have a, a, a bad feeling with it. I don't have a bad, uh, everything has worked very well. And the stroke or the the thing going on now, the VA called me and said, have you had your shots? And I said, no. And they said, come down. And my son took me down there and I had the shots very early where I couldn't get them. At what what he's referring to is this COVID. Yeah vaccines he got those quite early yeah quite early yeah and i've never had any problems with any of it i hope i don't and i think david and my daughter and the whole family has had the shot so so we're pretty well taken care of i wanted to ask you one more question i mean you've you've had sounds like just an incredible life and you've got this great family and you know you served 20 years you did some very cool and exciting things uh in the military it sounds like you had a great career after the military my question is you know if you were talking to a group of high school students who are thinking about joining the military uh, what, what advice would you give them i've done that uh, way back in B-29s when that was a, a nothing airplane. and But I came home on leave and they asked me to come to the school. Again, we got 52 in our class or something like that. But they wanted they, to talk to the different classes and and they would ask me questions about, uh, about oxygen and about uh, eating and about going to the bathroom on the airplane. And then and how long you flew, and all those kind of, they, they were really interested, but that was way, way long time ago. And after I got out and retired, I really didn't get too much involved until I offered, until I created the, uh, or helped create the BFW. Once we got that, and I'm in this little town up in New York, I, I get called along with the the American Legion people and we and the, the the younger ones, they'll come and they'll want to talk and they'll come over to the VFW and uh, Legion and we'll sit with them and they'll ask questions and we'll answer them and they they were very it was very good that way I liked it that way. Yeah, and it was good, it, but it was great for your life though, right? Your your time in the service and. Uh... Yeah, I had. I can't. I can't complain. I carried a lot of nuclear weapons around. I threw probably three over three thousand, four thousand hours in B fifty twos all over the world. It seems, and uh, but most of my overseas flights were airborne alert. We would take off a crew, and, and we'd take off, and we'd meet a tanker. They'd refuel us out over the ocean. We'd fly over to Spain, meet another tanker from Spain. They would fill us up. We'd spend 12 hours in the Mediterranean with nuclear weapons. If anything ever would have happened, we were the first ones in. And we'd fly that, and then we'd uh, 
after after our time, we come back out, get a refueling, make one more uh, loop of the um, Mediterranean, and then we'd leave, and another one would take our place. And that's how it, that's how it works. And yeah. we had that, and then at some time, we did have the, the uh, where we would do the same thing flying to the North Pole. We'd fly up to Greenland. We'd refuel between Greenland and uh, 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 Alaska, and then come back and we'd, we'd orbit there for our, for our period of time. And then we could see, we could, we could look, look south and we could see the, the uh, trails of another B-52 coming and they would take our place and we'd go home. So we'd pull them time nets. That was wow. an interesting time too. That sounds, sounds like a great amount of service uh, or a great uh, time in the service, Dad. And and uh, I, I know, uh, you know, on, on behalf of Phil and I too, we can't thank you enough for joining us on the podcast too and sharing some of your stories. I know you you haven't. Uh, uh, this is new for you to get an opportunity to really talk and and share some of your stories, some new things that I've heard for the first time. And, uh, and just, just, uh, happy to have, have you with us here this evening, uh, dad. And, uh, you've really been a lot of the inspiration of, uh, service and what got me involved with joining the military, uh, myself. And, and we, uh, Thank you for joining us. And, and Phil, do you have a, any additional few words to say? Well, I tell you, it's really been great, you know, having both, you know, both of you together here, Dave. I know your dad is a very big part of your life. And uh, so very special for me to, to be a witness to all of this. And, and Mr. Tilly, thank you for your service and for sharing some of that with us today. Well, it's my pleasure. Um, I, uh, my son is very good to me, and and uh, he takes me along a, a lot to what's happening up here, and I I really enjoy it, sharing it with him. Well, thank you, Dad. Thanks for joining us. This podcast is a co-production brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. And Dairy Cam, who believes a better world starts with a connected community. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org and dairycam.org. Follow the Homeland Heroes Salute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Heroes Salute wherever you listen to podcasts. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. Views expressed in this podcast do not represent any of the uniformed services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, Swim with a Mission, Harbor Care, Veterans First, or any other organization.